Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Feminist Book Club podcast. I am your intrepid host, Natalia, and I am here with Eliza Reed, the first lady of Iceland, but who's so much more than that. And we're going to talk about that later. We are here to discuss her book, The Secrets of the Sprekar, One Small Island Nation, The Women Who Live There, and How They Are Changing the World. Eliza, thank you for joining me this fine lovely super rescheduled thursday morning oh, well <laughs> afternoon you for, for you <laughs> thank you yeah exactly we're just in the middle of a normal january blizzard here in iceland so can't nothing relate. unusual <laughs> can't relate not even a little bit so let's start with a quick synopsis of the book right tell us what it's about how you started writing it kind of where it came from all of that jazz Sure, sure. So I should first maybe start by explaining the title of the book, Secrets of the Sprecher, because mm, yes. people That's might have right. It's so important. That. It's <laughs> yeah. So this word sprecher is an Icelandic word. It's a very obscure and old Icelandic word, and it means outstanding women. It's a plural, so the singular is spraki, and the, the plural is sprecher, outstanding or extraordinary women. And I wanted to have an Icelandic word in the title of the book that would be sort of intriguing for people. And, but when you think about it as well, and this is all the book about uh, gender equality, which I'll talk about in a second, you know, if we think about the English language, this Icelandic word sprakar only describes women. It's not a word that you can apply to men. And uh, if we can think of the English language about words that we have to describe, that we usually attribute to women, I can't think of very many that are positive words. <laughs> I, can, no, I can think of a whole not. lot of negative words, but I, I think the fact that we have a word that is sort of uniquely, that is extremely positive and uniquely for women, very special. So Iceland, this tiny country in the North Atlantic, has topped the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Index for the past 12 years, which means in a nutshell that of all the countries in the world, Iceland according to the World Economic Forum, is the closest to achieving equality between the sexes. Although I think everyone who lives here in Iceland will tell you right away that we are not there yet. So we're yeah. trying not to rest on our laurels. But this book is basically a portrait of a country and, and what it is like to be a woman in, quote unquote, the world's best country for women. So the book is comprised of a number of interviews with Sprakar, Extraordinary Women, who are just regular women who are doing things in all different aspects of society. They're not necessarily the first to do something or the fastest or the best, although they are exceptional in, in many ways. And each chapter talks about a little different aspect of, of society in the country, hopefully to provide some inspiration to how we can all bring about a little more equality in our everyday lives, no matter where we live. And I guess the second component to the book Listeners may hear my accent a little bit. I, I'm not uh, born in Iceland. I was born and raised in Canada on a hobby farm, actually. And I moved to Iceland because I met my Icelandic husband in graduate school. And we did not expect that he was going to become the president of the country. That's what yeah, I'm like. 
<laughs> who really expects that, right? Who like... really expects it? Absolutely, absolutely. So there's kind of a narrative thread there of, of both of the fact that because I'm an immigrant to Iceland, I see the country with kind of an outsider's eyes. So I can maybe remark upon things that that maybe Icelanders who are born and raised here think uh, is utterly unremarkable. Yeah. And also with kind of a message of both a message of making the most of unexpected opportunities, like I have tried to do with becoming first lady, but also how to kind of reshape roles and expectations. Because again, it, the term first lady, I think, conjures up a lot of things for people Absolutely. and maybe comes with a lot of gendered baggage. And in the 21st century, I, I really wanted to reshape that. I felt it quite acutely. Because even though, you know, I had my own and I still have my, my own life and, and work and, and projects here in Iceland, all of a sudden I was nationally known because I was married to somebody and, yeah. and I be nationally known as someone's wife. And, and I'm very proud to be that person's wife, but I'm also my own person. And so, so I try to explore that idea as well in the book. Absolutely. And that was something that stood out to me. So the art copy that I received from your publisher, which shout out to source books. And Madeline Brown, who is your publicist, who's just so lovely. They highlight the fact that you're the first lady of Iceland. And immediately my response was, well, why do they have to highlight that at all? Blah, blah, blah. But then I thought about how I approached getting the book, how I approached reading the book. And I would be lying if I didn't say that I 100% have told everybody that I know that I'm interviewing the first lady of Iceland for her new book. <laughs> And that's how I led, you know, the conversation. My knitting club is really tired of listening to me talking about this book because I brought it up approximately 400 gajillion times. So they're going to be real <laughs> excited <laughs> that this is finally out. But let's, okay, so let's go back. So <clears throat> I'm going to start with the first question that I have, which was as an American and as somebody who has studied American politics, American theory of political thought, just all of the shenanigans that come about with being American. One of the things that I definitely wanted to touch on was this is a great book for a small nation, but how do we as Americans think that this will translate? And I think that there's going to be the cynic and, you know, people who I've actually gone to school with and had to listen to them play devil's arg or advocate say, well, you know, this is great for a small country, but it's just not, it's not relevant to the United States. All of these measures, these thoughtful and contemplative decisions that Iceland has made, the people have made, the culture have made to put families first, just won't work in the United States. And I, I would like to know your response to that, because I'm sure that as this expands to other markets, it may be something that you hear more often. And once political pundits get a hold of it, especially here, they're going to be real assholes about it. So might as well. <laughs> at the end. I can take them. No problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what do you, what is your response to that question that mm -hmm. this is great for Iceland, but it just can't mm -hmm. be translated across mm -hmm. the world? I think, you know, I think it's a really important discussion to have. I think one thing, uh, first of all, and absolutely acknowledge, Iceland is a tiny country. Our population is 350,000 people. It's like the size of Cleveland or Anaheim. So we're very small. Nevertheless, we're a founding member of NATO. We're, you know, an, an independent country with a voice and an influence that, that we need to use. And, and I think one of the first points I would make is I, I'm not 
try, I'm not using this book to try to tell other countries what to do. That's you a, know, I'm that's a really good point. I'm not in a, you know, the, the president of Iceland, it's not a political role. Uh, it's, it's not like the president of the United States. He doesn't belong to a political party. He doesn't have a political platform. The, the role of the president of Iceland is not to say, we need to invest more money in X and less money in Y. It's yes. really to be a, a unifying figure to bring the country together. It, and it's a figurehead role almost, you know, replaced the role of the king of Denmark um, when Iceland got its independence from Denmark. So as the, as the spouse of the president, I'm not here to espouse political views, and I wouldn't do that as well in Iceland. You know, I'm not going to give a speech here where it says we need to invest more in this or less in that. However, to me, the issue of gender equality is not, it's not a political issue. It's a human rights issue. And to to paraphrase a, a former American first lady, and it's an issue that benefits everybody. And I think in Iceland, uh, we've kind of gone beyond the point of saying, is it important to try to achieve gender equality and more arguing, how are we going to get there? So it's not my role. And, and, and the book is absolutely not trying to say, well, America, if you would have a cheaper childcare, then everything would be better for you. Right. I've never lived in the US. I'm not an expert on, on the American political system or priorities. And it's absolutely not my place to be telling people what they should do or what type or what elected officials should be doing. I do hope, however, that this book serves as a kind of inspiration on how all of us as individuals can be doing something that is going to benefit people of all genders. Gender equality isn't saying, isn't women at the expense of, of other people. It is about uplifting and benefiting society overall. And I feel like it has, you know, it's kind of like the climate crisis. Sometimes, like if I'm lying in bed at night and I can't sleep because I think, what if I recycle tomorrow, is it going to make a difference? Or, you know, like it's such a huge challenge. It's such a huge issue. And it kind of, it, it feels so far away from us as individuals. And what I wanted to do with this book was kind of, was sort of bring out what it is that we can be doing in our daily lives, when we live our lives with these gender quality glasses on. So yes, I do talk about things like the fact that there is state-sponsored parental leave that for for both parents, that there is heavily subsidized childcare. And my husband and I had four children together in just under six years, and we were both working full-time. And absolutely, (laughs) I drink a lot of coffee. I don't have a lot of nice clothes. A lot of balls drop, but I mean, it's it's something that I would not have been able to do. Absolutely, we're not for that state support. Having said that, if people live in countries that that don't have that support, I hope that there are other messages in the book, uh, other takeaways that people can find that they can make changes themselves. So there's a whole chapter, for instance, on arts and culture and sport, and. We talk about, you know, what are we, and media, women in media, what are we consuming? Are we reading books by women just as much? Are we listening to the lyrics by women just as much? Are we elevating our sporting superheroes, the women just as much? It doesn't matter who we are electing to political office. I mean, obviously it it does, but I just mean we can make these changes irregardless of that, you know? Are we pursuing careers because we want to be doing them? Or are we pursuing careers because we feel that that's something that our gender belongs into? So I I hope that some of these stories that I tell inspire people in that sense as well. And that they don't think, as you said, oh, this Iceland sounds like a nice country. Too bad I don't live there. You know, there's no, and there's no recipe. 
I wonder if I could get a visa and live in Iceland. Yeah. No. Yeah. But then I, mean, I realized you know, I can't do snow. So probably not. Probably not the best no. place. There's no. But listen, I'm talking, I'm talking to somebody here in the most powerful country in the world, the richest country in the world. And I know that that money isn't necessarily distributed properly, but uh, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of challenges there. This is the country that has solved a lot of crises in the past. And with people who are innovative and determined and, and forward thinking and work together. And this is, again, just that kind of situation. Love it. So let's dive into the book a little bit. So the stigma-free sexuality chapter. There is an, oh Lord, y'all, oh Lord. I've never felt more American and prudish than when I read the stigma-free sexuality chapter. So well, like, was, was I can't believe I wrote that chapter and my mom read the book. God. Oh God. So there's, okay, hold on. I actually pulled it and like flagged it, but now I can't find my flag, of course, because life is just so terrible. But anyways, I'll paraphrase because I can't find it in the book. But basically the, the tenor of the chapter is about how sexuality is viewed in Iceland and and sexual relations, like when you're a teenager and all of that jazz is viewed and how these, these teens are just like bringing their sexual partners in the house. And it's not seen as taboo because there's a culture about um, talking about safe sex practices and all of these different things. And I, what I really liked about that, just as an aside, is that you also, it, while this book is a love letter to Iceland, it also is a love letter with warts and all. So you acknowledge the problems that there are in Iceland in response to sexual assault and sexual uh, harassment of women and things like that. And I like how you question, like, is it so high because people have trust in the police and can can talk to them about it? Or is it high because of other like larger societal issues? And I just thought that's what a love letter should be. You need to love a place enough to find the things that are, to acknowledge the things that are wrong with it. That's a separate issue. But anywho, this one girl, she's like 16. I don't even know. <laughs> says, yeah, my mom is so strict. And I have, when I um, bring my partners home, she makes them stay and eat breakfast with us. And I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, that, that was the chapter that I kind of surprised myself the most with when I was writing, because I'm, I'm born and raised in Canada. So I was raised with a lot of those North American sensibilities. And I moved to Iceland as an adult in my 20s in a monogamous relationship with the man who became my husband. And, and for me, absolutely, that was something where I, I you just casual things. People were talking about, oh, my, my daughter and my son-in-law are doing this. And I'm like, oh, did you, your daughter got married? And they're like, oh, no, it's just the guy that she's dating for the last month. But he's, I call him my son-in-law. And, and she's 17 and he stays over like every night. And, and I, that kind of blew my mind a little bit too. But also now that I've lived here for 18 years, I'm like, well, wait, my views have also evolved because I also see like society hasn't fallen apart this way. And, and certainly for women in equality, be for women admitting that, that they can be sexual beings as well is a very important component of equality because it's an area where we see a lot of double standards. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, it's funny because it's one of, it was one of those moments where in my head, I am so much cooler than I am. <laughs> but when I read it, I was like, 
I don't know that my daughters could ever bring somebody home to stay the night. Like, oh my God. So anyways, that, I thought that was really interesting. And then you devote another chapter of the book talking to and talking about LGBT plus issues and the trans community and the non-binary community and all of this, all of these, this work that's being done in Iceland to, okay, so we've got, we're doing well on the binary side, right? Men, women, we're doing well with that. But then how do we expand that conversation? And I, I found it so beautiful almost. It's like the yellow brick road of where we can go when we, when we really put each other mm-hmm. and our, and our society as a whole first, instead mm-hmm. of making sure that we divide each other amongst these stupid categories. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And then the other thing that I wanted to bring up because we are a capitalistic society is one of the early vignettes is of this woman who's at a board meeting and she's brought her child and the baby needs to nurse. And she just nurses the baby in the middle of this meeting and nobody makes any comments and nobody's like, boobs, boobs, boobs. And I remember when I had my second child, I, (laughs) the nurse, like I had to go to the pumping station and I would code the time on my calendar as private. So nobody could see what I was doing even. And I like hid my pumping bag and like did all of this weird covert shit Mm -hmm. for a totally natural process Mm -hmm. and like yeah I've got to feed something or I'm gonna explode and this lady's just nursing in the middle of a meeting I just in some ways it was so inspiring but in some ways it made me so angry at how we are stuck behind our own imaginary walls And it was just, I I just, it was really great. It was really great to read. So like, how do you, as an immigrant who came, I know that you're obviously, like you said, your views have changed and you've evolved in the time that you've been there, but even today, are there still things that kind of take you off guard or are you pretty much like, no, I've seen it all. I'm so cool. (laughs) I'm so not cool. I mean, I'm, do you mean other things that I am? I feel like I'm more conservative that I want to be or less tolerant that I want to be or not necessarily less tolerant, but perhaps things that just take you by surprise that events, cultural kind of norms that mm-hmm. take you by surprise. And then that surprise doesn't have to be positive or negative. I just mm-hmm. mean literally a surprise where you're like, wow, I've never considered that before. Or yeah, I yeah, mean, I'm try- I can't think of any tangible kind of newer examples, but absolutely that still happens or, or little tiny things. This is from when I was first living there, but these kind of things happened to me all the time. We were invited to a a baptism, like a a baby's baptism. And I said, all right, let's just stop and buy the bottle of wine to bring. And my husband was aghast. Like he said, it's a child's baptism. And in Iceland, you would never have alcohol at at a child's baptism or say at a confirmation or an event for children. And to me, I have Scottish roots and like you would never not have alcohol absolutely I said you know and I'm not I I said to him like I'm not giving the baby the wine I mean yeah I'm not pouring one out for the homie like no it's I read that and I laughed and laughed and laughed because first birthday parties in Dominican Republic and I think and I'm gonna go ahead and speak for the entirety of Latin America 
are not for the baby. They are 100% for the parents. And so there's booze and there's dancing and there's people stay like so much longer than they absolutely should stay. It's not like this. I've seen American first birthdays and it's like, oh, you focus on the baby and there's a little cake or whatever. We don't give a shit about the baby. (laughs) It's just like, it's like like an ancillary benefit of the gathering. It's more to celebrate the parents keeping a kid alive for- I gotta say, for that parent who, you know, those who have birthed the children themselves, it's kind of a day that you want to like, I want a glass of wine on that day. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So let's, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up because you're, you're, you've got things to do. You've got like a gang of kids. (laughs) I'm a very, very important first lady. (laughs) Very important first lady. I, I have to be careful about jokes in an audio podcast. Oh, that's right. Sorry. I hope hope the listeners know that I'm smiling. I was joking. I wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) So Eliza and I can see each other, but you guys are stuck uh, not being able to experience the glory of her awesome glasses and general demeanor. But let's, how, where do you want people to buy the book from? Do you want them to go to a particular place? what would you like them to take away? Who do you mm-hmm. want this book to be given out to? Do you have anything else you want to plug? <laughs> All of those things. <laughs> I, I mean, this is my first book. So I'm just so honored and excited that anybody wants to talk about it and read it. I'm just kind of giddy about the excitement about it at all. But the book is released in the US on February 8th by Sourcebooks, fantastic publisher who have been just amazing to work with. In Canada, if you have Canadian listeners, uh, Simon & Schuster Publishing, it's out on February 1st. And I hope that you buy it at a local bookstore that you like to support. And I hope that you don't think that this is just a book for women. This is a book for everybody. Gender quality is not women's responsibility. So I hope that there's a lot in this book for everybody. I hope that it's kind of like having a chat with me, that you just like sitting down, having a cup, cup of coffee. It's a light. I hope it's a about an important topic, but light and funny and warm. And I hope it it makes people both interested in Iceland also as a country, but also gives them a bit of inspiration in and in, in optimism in their daily lives. Love that. I love that. I will say that after reading it, and I'm not joking, literally talking about it to everybody that I knit with ad nauseum, it sparks some beautiful conversations, some heavy conversations. And a lot of questioning of our own assumptions, wherein we thought we were cooler and we realized that there's still work for us to do. And it was great because then you get to have that conversation of how do you reach that goal? How do you, how do you get to where you want to be? So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being so dope with all the rescheduling. Thanks for just being awesome. It was a pleasure to talk to you and You've heard it first, folks. Find your local bookstore and go get Secrets of the Sprakar, One Small Island Nation, The Women Who Live There, and How They Are Changing the World by the wonderful, incomparable Eliza Reed. We are so, so thrilled. And we'll have a link to the book in the show notes and to places where you can stalk Eliza if you're like me and you want to do that. Mm-hmm. And general shenanigans. So Thanks, listener. Stop away. Stop yeah. away. And try to use, I want to bring the word sprackar into every day. So elevate a sprack, a spracky, the singular, in your life today. I love it. It sounds so cute. I just want to like embroider it on something.
But thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Feminist Book Club podcast, and we'll see you on the next page. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a dead-